Greetings, podcast listeners. Pete Forsey, the podcast. Thank you, friends. Thank you, family and strangers. I know we have people all across the nation, most of you whom I've never met, tuning in each and every time to the podcast. Got a loaded show. Frank Reich, fired. Mike McCarthy, really an underrated coach at this point in time. A few years ago, it was ugly with Rodgers, breakup. Every time you look up, the guy's got double-digit wins. Dallas, Green Bay, obviously he was part of the San Francisco years there in the heyday uh, with Alex Smith at the beginning. So we're going to touch on some head coaches, going to touch on STL cards and their new pitching staff. A lot of football getting ramped up. Cowboys, Seahawks tomorrow on Thursday night. We're almost into December 2023, almost complete. You got to bang out some episodes here. This one is 124 of the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Bull season is right around the corner for college football. Some of the best matches of the year because you got the people that won six games or more. And I'm not trying to knock it necessarily because it is dwindling down the pool. There's so many college football teams. And then relatively speaking, even with all these bowl games, you're kind of diluting it down to the best of the best, which is a cool thing. And so you'll see some premier matchups. Guys will sit out. So therefore you have draft talk, NFL draft talk, because these guys sit out because they don't want to get themselves injured and risk their stock. So you hear a lot of the times with NFL teams, They start wondering if people are purposely trying to tank games. And then you hear Frank Reich is fired, and it's a reminder that that shit does not happen in the NFL. All these coaches have, all these general managers have, is their record. All they have is the tape. Frank Reich lasted 11 games because the owner was so infuriated with how they were doing offensively. Nathaniel Hackett last year lasted until Christmas. Urban Meyer, the most justifiable fire in the history of the NFL, I think he lasted 10 games. So next time you find yourself thinking, whether you're a Bears fan, I heard one time from a guy, the Bears lost earlier this year to the Broncos after they're up from three touchdowns. They were accusing that of deliberate tanking and losing. Think again. You really think Eberflus who has seven wins to his name in now 27 games. You really think he's just going to be okay dumping games? You think Ryan Poles, who's you know got some solid starters on the defensive side of the ball, but otherwise is straight away some pretty good players that are still thriving elsewhere. You think he's just letting games go away? Look at the Buccaneers, Todd Bowles, Baker Mayfield. Those guys have a lot to play for. The Rams. Earlier this summer, all I heard was how they were all in on Caleb. I look at Sean McVay. I look at Matthew Stafford. They seem to be out there trying pretty hard. Arizona. Kyler Murray's playing. I thought he was going to be stashed on injured reserve. It doesn't exist. And it's fun for people to theorize and play the game of tanking, getting a top draft pick, getting a quarterback who appears to be nameless, and having fun with the whole roster construction it's not a real thing nobody can compute what's actually going to happen until maybe maybe the last week of the season and then from there it's also about going through interviews going through draft profiles 
going through player profiles and seeing what the makeup is. You just don't know what you're getting, and you don't know where you're going to stack up. So Frank Reich lasted 11 games because he didn't get it done. He didn't win. He didn't prepare his team from the jump. That offensive line was horrendous, and it cost him. This guy walked in thinking he had three or four years to turn around a program. Newsflash, owners don't think that way. Owners want to win now because the only thing that matters is revenue. And to this day, the biggest form of revenue for an NFL franchise, whether it was 1923, whenever the NFL was existed, I should know that, or 2023, the biggest form of revenue is gate receipts. Anything and everything that happens in the stadium, in the parking lot, or in these hotels that they're building up surrounding it, that is how owners make money. The television deal, that's a bonus. Everybody thinks that's the highest form of revenue, and it's pretty big. They get a $250 million check just by putting their name on the dotted line. Easy money, but it's not the most. So if you think your coach is in in good standing, with your owner, think again. You got to get asses in seats and you got to win games. Otherwise, you'll be just like Reich, Hackett, and Urban. You'll be on the outside looking at. Looking at the flip side, I have nothing but admiration with what Dak Prescott, Mike McCarthy are doing. Every time you look up, whether it's a season that starts off hot, a season that starts off slow, injuries like last year with Dak, you look up, they got double-digit wins, and they're in a spot where they're competing for the NFC East crown. The one year being the caveat of 2020 when Dak, uh, I think it was, I forget the injury, something to his leg where he shattered it in week four. Obviously, that season was going to be a loss. But since then, you look at all the talent around it, you look at how they stay in games and they just dominate at home. They haven't trailed at home all year and they haven't lost a game since midseason last year. The Cowboys, they play again at Jerry World tomorrow, recording this here on Wednesday. They're going to beat Seattle. Seattle is unraveling a bit here late in the year. Geno's got to find his groove. Uh, the defense commits all sorts of penalties, just got shellacked by the Niners. And the Cowboys, they're right up there with San Francisco. I know they got dominated earlier in the season, but they're a different team now. And I think with McCarthy, you got to start giving him credit, despite all the reports by um, reporters a few years ago about him taking his massage time and Aaron Rodgers and him not being on the same page about play calling. When Mike McCarthy is your head coach, you're going to win 10 ball games. Yeah, he may have some bad calls in the playoffs as far as game management and play calling and just organization. A few years ago, his team was getting penalized left and right. There are some hiccups, but overall, this guy is a B-plus head coach. And right now, there are plenty of teams that would kill for a head coach like him. Instead, you got your Rikes, you got your Hackett's, you got... Todd Bowles, who hasn't turned around, I was a believer in him, but I don't know how great he really is. So it's time to give him his flowers. The Dallas Cowboys in a weak NFC this year definitely had the wherewithal to take it to the Super Bowl. And a lot of the naysayers who were discounting McCarthy and discounting Dak, 
they're going to be sticking their foot in their mouths because right now Dallas is rolling. John Mazalock is a man on a mission. And right now, I think he's got three A-pluses in the books. Lynn, Gibson, and now Sonny Gray. $75 million over three years, $25 million per year for a guy who had 190 innings last year. I think it was 180 two years ago. In between there was 122 as far as innings pitched last year in the 2022 season because he was injured. But otherwise, this guy has been elite in his performance. You get him in a moderate market, Cincinnati, Minnesota, St. Louis, and you have him pitching not in Yankee Stadium, this guy's going to churn out big innings. I saw another guy here in the local market saying that when expectations are low, that's when he performs, and when the bar is raised, that's when he doesn't. I don't know exactly what he's going off of, except for one season in New York or how many ever seasons he was there. Other than that, yeah, he's had some bad playoff performances, but I've also seen some really good playoff performances from Sonny Gray, so I don't know what that guy's talking about. This guy is an elite arm, and you get him for three years, 34, 35, 36. I'm not concerned about age. Pitchers nowadays, they actually age better in their 30s because their IQ is a lot better, and the mileage on their arms is not like it used to be. It's not a Madison Bumgarner, Clayton Kershaw. Those guys were workhorses out of the gate. Nowadays, they're brought on a lot slower. So the time to sign them is in their mid or later 30s. Look at the elite pitchers, the guys in the Cy Young running. Most of them are actually of that age. Verlander, Scherzer, Dylan Cease. He's about to turn 31, I believe, and should really be the next target for the Cardinals because I don't think they should stop at three. This is all shaping up here. Now, the issue is that they need that four starter. That's why I think they should go after Cease if they're really wanting to reshape this in one offseason. It's totally plausible. This might be it, though. It's hard to add four starting pitchers to your rotation. That's how big of a hole they were in. So everybody may want to pump the brakes thinking that they shouldn't be done. Sometimes it's just not really in the cards for you. I would love for them to go get Dylan Cease, but what is the capital that you're giving up? Would it be more wise to actually go to the bullpen and fortify that and try to get innings covered that way? It may be something that has to take shape in the 2024 offseason, as hard as that is to stomach. So I like the moves. There still are arms out there. I'd love to see them get Dylan Cease. Obviously, Yamamoto would be another one, but there's going to be a lot of folks in the running there. Japanese players typically do not come to the Midwest. You'll find them in Seattle, Texas, New York, Anaheim, if your name's Shohei. So I like what they're doing, but it's totally, totally plausible. This could be it, and they'll just need someone to step up internally to make this rotation one to be messed with in the NL Central. So at this point in time, everybody knows Aaron Rodgers is a guy that likes to be in the limelight. He goes on his McAfee show. He always has something very interesting to say. Very smart individual. He's an intellect, and he's always wanting to kind of tease us with what is next. He tries to play it off as if that's not the case, but we know that not to be true. And right now, he's doing his head coach a favor. He is masking 
the fact that Robert Sala, not a very good head coach. Yeah, you can say that he's got Boyle and Zach Wilson as his quarterback and that his defense has played uh, well at times. But overall, I kind of look at the defense and I think, yeah, a little underwhelming. A lot of good names. But there's a lot of times in the red zone this season, they've given up a lot of touchdowns and some points. And at some point in time, as a coach, isn't it your job to develop the offensive line? Aren't you supposed to improve them throughout the season? They have been a grease fire from week one, and it hasn't gotten any better. The same names are trotted out there. The same things keep happening. And all I see is Robert Sala standing there, stone-cold face with his arms folded, not even pacing up and down the sideline. Doesn't even look like he's saying anything. He's just literally standing there. What are you doing? What is your job as the head coach? If you were to see something going wrong with a Sean McVay team or even a Kevin O'Connell team, you would see them going over to his players, going over his coaching staff, talking into the headset, doing something, and said, Robert Sala seems like he's, you know, he's not giving up because I hear him during his press conferences, his intensity. He obviously has the team out there trying and playing hard. They're just awful. But it just doesn't seem like he actually believes that his team can win without Aaron Rodgers. So this little uh, time period where we think he's going to come back and play on Christmas Eve. He's not. It's not going to happen. The rehab is fine. Even if he does play, he's not going to be playing any good. This is just masking the fact that the Jets need to get a new head coach. Robert Sala is not it. He is a coordinator who is in the head coach's chair, and his defense isn't even playing all that great. New York has a huge problem in Aaron Rodgers. It was cool that he was throwing passes to the to the trainer in the sweatshirt and threw it to guys on air. But this isn't going to change the fact that they have massive issues, both at the head coaching position as well as their roster. So by this time next week, Shohei Otani could be on his new baseball team. And it's kind of crazy to think about all the different ways it could go, factoring in the, the, the fact that he's not going to be pitching until 2025. Will they even sign him to be a pitcher? Will they try and convince him just to be a hitter because he's obviously elite at that? It, it's so strange. When he when he came in in 2018, the pitching was further along. I remember reading a scout's observation of him saying he had a high school swing. But now it's the inverse. Pitching is in question due to the two elbow surgeries, and now he's one of the greatest hitters on the planet behind Judge. So I don't know which way it's going to go. Toronto is the dark horse. I think Seattle is also a dark horse and the more likely one. You have the obvious candidates in the Rangers, uh, the the Cubs, the Giants. I would even throw in the Mets because if Cohen says he wants them, you know he's going to try. Obviously the Dodgers, another one. And of course, the Angels. I think it was a bad decision to hire Ron Washington, I just that doesn't strike me as a guy that really is going to be a uh, a selling point for the greatest player in the history of the franchise. 
It's kind of crazy to think about. The Angels, who have the second oldest stadium behind Fenway Park in the American League, who have had Nolan Ryan, uh, Mike Trout, Albert Pujols, Josh Hamilton, um, countless other names, uh, Reggie Jackson. The best player in the franchise is Shohei Otani. And you hire Ron Washington? I know guys like him. And I know that he's been a manager before. He's won a lot of games, went to two World Series. But just say it out loud. Does does that mesh with a guy that you're trying to attract back to your team? I think it's still out there. I think it's in the cards. He loves his uh, roots there. It's laid back, but it is Southern California. He has his routine, familiarity. Could I see it happening on a one-year deal? maybe a one-year plus a club option so he can pitch and re-hit the market in 2026, of course. But I, I I just think that it could go so many different ways. Nobody knows. And I don't even think it's going to be something that slowly builds momentum. We're going to snap our fingers, and he's going to be in Toronto, or he's going to be in Seattle, or he's going to be in Dallas with the Rangers or in Chicago on the north side. It's going to happen quick. And I think it's great for baseball. It happens at the winter meetings. Can't wait for it. Love keeping up on the uh, rumor mill. And we'll see where Shohei goes, the greatest player in the sport right now. I would rarely put anything under the category of must-have, but Juan Soto to the New York Yankees kind of fits that description. After Judge went out because he crashed into the Dodgers stadium wall, their offense went kaput. There was no punch whatsoever. They've been totally lenient on right-handed hitters despite them playing a left-handed hitter-friendly ballpark. And you have Juan Soto out, who the Padres have to get rid of because they're in debt and because they have too much money committed to other players. They got a slash payroll. This has to happen. If you're Brian Cashman, who I know he went on his tirade a couple weeks ago, threw out some profanity, really uh, gassed up his analytics department and scouting department and their past few years, which I get. He was a little steamed up. People have been on his case. But you can't get caught up if you're Cashman on holding on to Jason Dominguez. Yeah, I I heard all the same things about bat speed and makeup and talent with Clint Frazier. And that guy is still looking for a job after splitting the season with the Indians or the Guardians and now Uh, the Chicago Cubs. So don't fall in love with the prospect like you did with someone like him and others before him. Go get Juan Soto. $30 million for a year. You got to go all in on trying to win this season. And if it doesn't work out, that's okay. You had to do it at the time. This is a very important season for them to see how their lineup can take shape and who should be on the team for 2025. And if you're Soto, why wouldn't you want to play for the Yankees? Why wouldn't you want to test that out and then get your big bucks from the greatest franchise in the history of the sport? This is something that the Yankees should feel okay being a little stupid about. Giving up Anthony Volpe, giving up Jason Dominguez and Clark Schmidt, whomever it may be. Obviously, you don't go bananas. You can't give up the whole farm system, but for this player... For this guy that played 160 games last year and who obviously is second coming of Ted Williams, shell it out, get it done. You need this. This is too important a year for New York.
Thank you so much for choosing the show, the podcast coming weekly. We're on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, wherever you listen. Please tell your friends about what we do here on the show, talking all things ball. We got to wrap up 2023 on a high note, and we're going to be pounding out the episodes each and every week. So thanks so much. We'll see you guys next time.